All right. Well, good. Well, let's go ahead and begin. Um, I wanted, I've been doing a lot of thinking about this particular uh, class here as we get going, and I, and I kind of want to frame it this way if I can. Picture for a minute that there, there is a guy that has kind of been, actually, he's been attacking the Mormon church. Uh, doesn't know anything about the Mormon church, but just the fact that it exists is kind of an abomination because of what he believes in, in the Bible and all that. So somewhere along the way here, he's on the road to Denton. <laughs> and on the road to Denton, he has a blinding flash, and there is the Savior who says, quit fighting against my church. Uh, and in fact, I want you to start going on missions to teach my gospel. But you're not going to have access to the Book of Mormon. You're not going to have access to the Doctrine and Covenants. Um, you're going to simply have to be able to teach the gospel out of the scriptures that you know. Okay? How's that for a task? Okay? You're going to have a little bit of input. From, from a few people for just a few days, but by and large, because you're not going to have scriptures, any new scriptures with you. In fact, the Book of Mormon and Doctrine and Covenants won't be written for a few, like a decade. So it's really kind of on you to use the scriptures you have to try and move the new church forward. How big a challenge would that be? Seem almost impossible? Tons of prayer. A lot of prayer. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, in essence, isn't this what Paul did? If he's going to start, so his, what he knows is the history of Israel. The, meaning the Old Testament. Most of it is, is uh, he's going back to Adam all the way through the, the Maccabees. He knows the history. What he knows is the is the rabbinic view of Israel as taught by the rabbis. Most of the books of the Old Testament are written in Babylon during the exile. So it's going to have a rabbinic focus to it, but that he's going to be he's going to be really well versed on the history of Israel and he knows it through the rabbis. He's a Pharisee. And he has, we think he has like a photographic memory. So he's, he's got, he can tell you the Psalms and he can tell you Isaiah. And he's good with all of that. Now, after the road to Damascus, what happens here? Well, now he's got to see it through the cross. The same history, the same scriptures, the same prophets but he's going to see it from a completely different viewpoint. It shines a completely different light on the same books. That's why you almost have to look at Paul as an Old Testament prophet. Okay? Does he have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in front of him? No. They are, at the very least, about 15 years away from the first book and 30 years away from John. Okay, Luke uh, or Acts is being written about him. What is he at now? He's now supposed to go on these missions and start teaching what 
what he now knows as he's looking, as he's having to look from a whole different viewpoint of who Israel is, what they're supposed to do, what their mission is, what Isaiah wanted to occur, what Abraham was trying to accomplish. All of that history he knows well previously from the rabbis, but now what does it mean to look at it through the resurrection of Christ? Different story. Well, this is kind of like the other apostles, Peter, James, and John, and so forth. Jesus told them a whole lot of things yes. that they did not understand until after he passed. Right. What is it, what a shocker that is. Right. And he will say, remember he only had like three days with Peter. He will he will say, I was not taught by flesh and blood. So everything that he's doing is now, he's being taught by the Spirit, but he's also, when, he, when we start looking at what he's about to teach in Antioch, and what he teaches in Lyceum, and what he's teaching in Galatia, and to Thessalonica, he is pulling from what, from what scriptures? He's digging deep into the Old Testament to tell them what the Old Testament was supposed to mean, not what the rabbis said it was supposed to mean. Okay, that's what that's what makes this remarkable. So, so one of the things that we're going to get today, as we talk about this first mission, we're going to see the very first preachings outside of Peter on the day of uh, Pentecost and and the stoning of Stephen. We have two little speeches there. You're about to see the earliest Christian writings available. What were they thinking? What was the idea? And, and, and all of that. That's what makes this first little section remarkable. What? Because there, only about twice that I can find does Paul ever quote Jesus. He doesn't have the writings of Jesus pretty much. He's, he's preaching Christ crucified, but he's preaching from the Old Testament. He's not preaching from the Mount of Beatitudes. If you ever wonder, by the way, when we, when we cycle around... To, in the church, in our curriculum, to talk about the Old Testament, and you go, groan. <laughs> this is why we do this, because this was the foundation and the story. The, if you want to understand the New Testament, read the Old Testament. That's what Paul would be saying. Okay? So, what is it exactly that they thought they, they were up to here? Well, uh, I want you to... I want to frame it a little bit uh, this way if I can, okay? Um, these early day missionaries, these very first ones that are going out and they're trying to preach and, and they're trying to figure out what do we want to say to Jews and what do we want to say to Gentiles? How exactly does the gospel work with Gentiles? I don't know. And you know, and what do we do with this and, and all that? So these very first early day missionaries uh, were really simply doing, come follow me. <laughs> what had Jesus been saying as he's walking around? Come follow me. Okay? So they were supposed to follow him where? Well, they were gonna, here's we're gonna follow Jesus on the covenant path in the way. What it, 
And, and, and so that's what the church was called. We're on a path, so we'll call it, it's the way. Jesus said, I am the, the way, the truth and the life. Okay, so followers are following Jesus. Now, there is an interesting little caveat that he keeps throwing in there. And it's not really understood very well. Jesus will say things like, my sheep hear my voice. My, I'm trying to find the elect. So the question is for Paul and everybody else, who's the sheep? Who are the elect? Who are those guys? I don't know. Come follow me. Come and see. So, like Peter says, okay, we forsake, we have forsaken all. We're now following him in the path, on the way, following Jesus. Here we are. Great. Okay. Uh, we have forsaken all. We followed thee. Remember, he says to the young ruler, sell everything that you have and follow me. So if we're going to send missionaries out, the missionaries are going to go out and say, follow him. <laughs> okay. What about him? Well, the guy that was, you know, hung on a tree. Acts 13. He says, I have established you as a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So these first missionaries were out there trying to bring salvation, preaching the good news. What was the good news? What's the good news? The gospel. And the gospel was? Christ is the Savior. Christ is the Savior of the world. Christ crucified. He came. He came to save us. Okay. He is. He is uh, Christus. He is the Anointed One who came to save us. Great. Okay. So where do we go from here? Well, what we're going to do is we're now going to ultimately organize into house churches, which means little gatherings of people that are going to come together and worship together. And we'll talk about this a lot more in just a minute. Okay. That's what they were doing. So they were out preaching Christ crucified. Now, in the meantime, now we hop over, uh, before we get to Latter-day missionaries, what happens in between this preaching and Latter-day missionaries? Not before the apostasy. Jerusalem fall. In other words... The scattering, the, the destruction of Israel. So now at this point, where is Israel? Everywhere. Everywhere. They have been scattered all, all across, okay? Where is Israel? They were starting to scatter, and Paul's going to go f start finding these dysphoria um, Jews and they're hidden in Alexandria and Ephesus and all over the place. You can try and find them, okay, and preach the gospel to them. But now they're really scattered. There's no Jerusalem, there's no temple. So what is what is going to be the task of latter-day missionaries? Well, yeah, he's talking about gathering the house of Israel. When Joseph walks out of the grove, is he going, oh, I'm now in charge of gathering Israel. <laughs> Therefore, I shall, move, I shall now move forward, <laughs> and we shall begin to organize the missionary work that shall go forth and gather scattered Israel in. See, we're looking at it through our eyes, right? Joseph is just walking out of the grove thinking, well, I'm 
glad my sins are forgiven. <laughs> and then three years later, what does he find out? Oh, there's a book. Oh, oh I guess I'm supposed to get this in book of Indians uh, written. Get the plates. Here's the book with Indian writing on it. Find somebody that can read Native American. That's not Native American. It's Reformed Egyptian. Dang. Okay, so now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to do it. So now we did the book. Now we've got the a church. So congratulations. There are a lot of churches out there in the burned out district in upper New York. And they're all preaching. And now we have a better one. We have a better church talking about Jesus. So if we're going to send Samuel Smith out on a mission, first missionary, he's got his Book of Mormon in hand. He's saying, there's another church. And they go, well, awesome. There's a lot of churches, but this one has a book. Oh, that's different. Okay. It's only when we get to September, about six months after the church, suddenly we start hearing something about th these missionaries aren't just supposed to be teaching Christ crucified. They are going to be tasked with doing what? Gathering. Gathering. Who are we gathering? Oh, we're gathering Israel. You know what? We know who it, we have the Book of Mormon. Who is Israel? In 1830, 1831. Indian. It's the Indians. Yes. It's the Native Americans. So where are they? Well, they're out there on the other side of Missouri. We'll send missionaries to go gather Israel. The gathering of Israel is gathering the Indians out there. And we're going to send those guys out there. Okay. Now they're going to run into Sidney Rigdon in Ohio and away we go and, and off we're running. But the idea originally was if we're gathering Israel, we're gathering Indians. Why? Who are we sitting around here in Ohio or so? We're Gentiles. Book of Mormon says we're Gentiles. Israel is the Indians. Okay, so we're going to do that. But now we start getting into like January of 1831 and this Israel. Who is Who is Israel? And now it begins to change. Are we just telling people about this great gospel and Christ crucified? Yes. But in addition to that, we are now begin, we are now tasked to do something very interesting. We're supposed to gather Israel. And the question is, who is Israel? And, and that was the one that like a, like a rose unfolding... Joseph had revelation upon revelation that at each step would say, oh, well, it's not just the Jews, it's Gentiles. But then he gets this, but then the, if he goes back to the Book of Mormon, the Book of Mormon says that Joseph is descended from who? Second Nephi 3? Joseph. There were three Josephs. He's descended from who? Joseph of old. Joseph of old. Whoa! If he is descendant of Joseph of old, uh, that would make him an Ephraimite, which would make Joseph not just a Gentile, but he is Israelite. Israelite. Oh my gosh. Wow. Wait a minute. So we're sitting around this room. This isn't just a room full of Gentiles. Who is this? This is, we're, we're Israel. 
Oh, wow. Well, that changes things dramatically, doesn't it? If we are going to gather Israel, I know, isn't that, can I have a sound effect? <laughs> hey. Okay. We're now going to gather scattered Israel. And by the way, do we, how do we know that you're of Israel? Well, we'll, get to, we'll get to Nauvoo. How are we going to figure out um, if you are Israel or not? What are you going to get? Patriarchal. Your patriarchal blessing, which is going to give you what? Your lineage. Okay? Now, there was a question in Nauvoo. Well, wait a minute. What if somebody isn't like a pure Ephraimite? And Joseph said, when, the, when you're filled with the power of the Holy Ghost, what happens? Your lineage has changed, literally. So now we're not just telling people about Christ crucified. We are telling, we, we are tasked with what? Gathering scattered Israel in. And now suddenly Jacob 5 means a lot to us. We are the last people going out to prune the vineyard and we've been moved all over the place and here we are, okay? Now, so, so here we understand all of this. He's supposed to publish the book. Uh, 18 January, it says, you're going to preach the fullness of my gospel I've sent forth in these last days, the covenant of which I sent forth to recover my people, which are Israel. the house of Israel. Okay? So that question is slowly about, and, and, and why we're talking about this is that this is going to be the question for Paul. When he starts going out here to say, their blessings given to Israel through Abraham. What does that mean to the Gentiles? And he's going to blow the whole thing up when he gets to Galatians and he's going to go and you become the seed of Abraham too. And I can't find anywhere that Jesus says that in the Gospels. <laughs> he, he hints at it in John 8. I can make the seed of Israel, seed of Abraham out of stones. But mo for the most time, this is Paul. This is Paul drawing on teachings we don't have. But it, it borne out when you look at the Old Testament. The, uh, the Old Testament screams this, that these Gentiles would become the seed of Abraham. Yeah? That's kind of what that one scholar said. Was like They felt like some of the priests from the, the first temple went to Arabia. And then whenever Paul spent three years there... That, he that maybe he learned something. Yeah, we don't know where Paul got this stuff from. Uh, whether it was just by the Spirit or in talking, or these are discussions that he actually had with Peter that Jesus had taught them, but it's not published. We don't know. That's why sometimes when people have attacked the Bible, they say, Paul made this up. Because <laughs> he's writing and teaching this stuff decades before the Gospels are even published. Well, yeah. But it's born out in the Old Testament. That's part of what makes this kind of cool. Okay, so let me add one more piece to this. Are you swimming yet? How are we doing? Okay. Interesting little stuffy term. I'm gonna, you're going to be able to walk out of here and say, I, knew, I know a new term here. And it's called supersessionism. Oh. What did you learn from Hinckley this morning? Oh, we talked about supersessionism. And they're going to go, wow, <laughs> aren't you something? <laughs> supersessionism is something that really kind of came out in the 19th century. And what it really basically means is the Jews were the covenant people. They screwed it up and Christians are now the covenant people. 
We have succeeded the Jews. They got bad. We're good. And as supersessionism was actually some of the underpinning behind anti-Semitism and, and, and justified attacking the Jews and killing the Jews because they had rejected Jesus. And Christians are now superior to the Jews because we have, we're now the covenant people. That's supersessionism. So you didn't make up that word? <laughs> <laughs> no. No. But I, I wish I would have, right? Um, now, it's interesting that Joseph is saying there is a point at which the, the Jews struggled that, that we as Latter-day Saints are our covenant people. We are Israel. But we're not seceding the Jews. We are Ephraim. <laughs> you know, for the Jews, at this point in the first century, who was Israel? The Jews and some of Benjamin. Where's the other tribes? Well, we've succeeded them. <laughs> you know, Israel is now the Jews. And they keep forgetting there was ten other tribes, including the tribe of Joseph and Ephraim. And that's us. We're not seceding and we're standing alongside them. And, and, get, and where do we find the knowledge of how we stand alongside them? Where can we read about that? The Book of Mormon. That's what the Book of Mormon is. The, uh, guys, the Book of Mormon is the bridge. The bri it's the bridge between the Jews in Israel in the old times and now. And who the Gentiles are. Because Israel, or Book of Mormon, is filled with law of Moses abiding Israelites who believe in Christ. Called Messianic Jews? Well, this is even more than Messianic Jews because this is, I mean, there are, you can go around um, Plano and find Messianic congregations here, right? But this is, Book of Mormon is going to say, here are a group of Jews who see the law of Moses for what it is as the schoolmaster for Christ. It's the bridge. Okay? Isn't that, isn't that cool? Yeah. Okay? That's why the, Book of, the purpose of the Book of Mormon is to bridge these two beliefs. Okay? Where does adoption come into this? Adopt, what, what adoption? Well, we are adopted as we become members of the church and become adopted into the, the family. Uh, he, he says, where, where does adoption come into it? Again, that's where Joseph Smith was was being able to say, if you are a pure Israelite, you'll hear the gospel and accept it. We kind of got into a believing blood thing that Israelites hear the gospel and it, they accept it. And those who aren't pure Israelites, who are, join the church that the Holy Ghost changes their lineage. Now, I don't hear that preached a lot in general conference these days. And certainly as we're going throughout the world, we're not really talking a lot about the believing blood. We did that a lot in the early 70s. That is a con I don't remember the last time I heard that in general conference. I think you'd have to go back to uh, Marky Peterson and others in the early 70s to talk about that. But that was kind of the idea. That, that lineage, we're all trying to get back to Israel and then back to Abraham and the promises. But in this, in, but what we're about to see now, here comes Paul, and he's about to go out into, among the Gentiles, 
and he's going to start teaching them how they get how they hook up to Abraham. Yeah. This makes me think about the chicken or the egg thing. The question is, are we going out in search of the house of Israel to bring them in, or are we going out in search of people who are willing to come in, and then they will become the house of Israel? And it's both. Yes. Yes, it is. Where, where before, I mean, I, I, again, I remember as a missionary and, and having Marky Peterson in our zone conference, about from here to President Jones and, and him talking about the fact that in, in England, you guys are going to go and the believing blood will find you. <laughs> you will be preaching the gospel and those that are of Israel will respond to your message. Okay, and, and those that won't, aren't. And it was just that, that was what kind of cultural thing that we taught. And again, we just don't, we don't do that. Anyway, all right. Uh, let's see. So, so along with this idea, by the way, that we are Israel, now you hear all these words, and as we went along as a church, now these other words come. If we are Israel, then where should Israel gather to? Jerusalem. Well, we're not Jews, so we should have a New Jerusalem, yes. And we're going to gather together. This will be Zion. Ah, and we'll have patriarchs. And we'll have, you know, suddenly all of the trappings of Israel, we kind of join. And, and so that's why people would look at Latter-day Saints and go, well, you guys really are supersessionists. You're like, you're taking over Israel. <laughs> so, no, 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 no. We're Ephraim. They're Judah. We're not replacing them. We're standing alongside them. There are going to be two Jerusalems here. But yeah, we will have the Zion's camp and, <laughs> and all of those. Okay. Um, so, has that completely clouded things up for no. All right, on a foggy day? <laughs> fog on the outside, fog on the inside. Yeah. I, I, I don't have this clear in my head. Is so when we talk about somebody joining the church and being adopted into the house of Israel? Yeah. Old school, or is that? That's a good question. She says, "Is that old school?" When we talk about like their lineage being changed, Joseph taught it. But I'm always a little wary. If I haven't heard the brethren talking about it for a long time, it's hard to know. It really is hard to know. So, okay. That said. So, so now we get this. We get to uh, Acts, Acts 13. And here's this moment where... Um, Acts 13. In the church, for, uh, verse 1. In the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Okay, wow. Okay, Simon, Lucius, Man, and uh, Herod, and Saul. Whoa, okay. And, they were, and while they were serving the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart Barnabas and Saul for, for me for the work which I have called them. Okay, and they fasted, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Okay, so they're they're over here in Antioch, and and they're not saying necessarily where they were sent, but we know exactly where they went. Um, uh, therefore, verse four, they were sent by the Holy Spirit, uh, which is interesting. It isn't like uh, they received a a uh, calling from the first presidency that's asked them to go serve a mission, you know, sign. Peter, James, and John. <laughs> it's like, we're going on this mission, and the Holy Spirit has sent us, 
and, and away we go. Uh, and then we're going to go up here to Cilicia, and then we're going to hop over here to Cyprus. Okay? Um, now, it's hard to know exactly what they were thinking other than we just kind of retrace their, their steps. Um, let, me just, let me just say again, we have, it's just kind of my theory. The belief is, is that Paul, as he grew, being trained uh, and, and was actually probably part of, of the leading Jews in Jerusalem, um, and as that um, he probably came from a family of wealth, probably came from a family of influence. Um, that's one of the reasons why he was so powerful in the things that he said and done is that he was extremely well educated, but he was also a, a man of wealth and power uh, and coming from family of wealth. Okay, So when he's going to hop over here to the island and they're going to work their way, but they're going to go just like a dart over, over here to Paphos. Okay. Um, Verse 6, they traveled the entire island as far as, far as Paphos. Uh, they found this ma uh, magician whose name was Bargesus, uh, and he was with the proconsul uh, Sergius Paulus. So the head of the island, appointed by Rome, was Sergius Paulus. And he's anxious to hear from Paul. Well, that's interesting. Makes you wonder... <coughs> If this is somebody that either uh, Paulus knew of Paul's family or Paul knew him, or there's some kind of connection. Because he has no problem getting in to see him. And in fact, it says that he's already, uh, it says uh, that uh, Sergius Paulus is studying with uh, this Bar-Jesus guy that we'll talk about in a sec. Uh, is trying to attack him, but he says he's an intelligent man. And he, sum he summons Barnabas and Paul and inquired of them to hear the word of God. So that's pretty nice. If you're a missionary and you're showing up on an island and the, and the governor wants to see you to tell me about God. What a great opportunity. It's awesome. Okay. I think he had to have known something of Paul. I think that opened some doors. But then as now, there's always a stick in the mud here. Who also is there? Uh, a magician, uh, Simon Bar-Jesus. Bar uh, Bar-Jesus really means son of Jesus. Bar is son of. Okay? So, Paul, um, verse 9... Uh, so, so he's also called uh, Elimas, or Elimas, um, the magician, that's translation for his name, opposed them, trying to turn the proconsul from the faith. Verse 9, but Saul, also Paul, so now we get the switch, becoming Paul, especially if you're in the Roman world, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you are full of deceit and wickedness, you son of the devil. <laughs> you're running around with the name son of Jesus, Paul would do these little word plays. Son of Jesus, huh? I say you're son of the devil. <laughs> okay? Um, you enemy of all righteousness. Will you stop distorting the straight paths, the way of the Lord? Um, now look, the, Lord, the hand of the Lord is against you. You shall be blind, unable to see the sun. 
for a time. Okay? Blinds him. Wow! How fun is that? Okay? So, so you get this sense then of um, uh, Paul, who's able to then uh, teach him. Um, verse 12, then the proconsul sees what happened. He believed him and wondered about the teaching of the Lord. Now, here you kind of have to read into this. Uh, because verse 13, then Paul and those that sent uh, were with him set sail from Paphos uh, to Perga. We're going to hop on a, one of these little uh, packet ships that was running uh, Roman uh, food and stuff back and forth. We're going to go from here. We're going to land at Perga. And we have two possibilities. There's a wonderful Roman road. There's a, there, this is a line of mountains that exist right here between there and Presidian Antioch. This massive mountains that sit right here. And there was a wonderful Roman road that goes all the way around, well built. And then there's these little line of towns. A lot of them are Jewish towns that make their way up here. But it's a much harder go and it's, it's over the mountains. Okay, so it's interesting that he is making like a dart for Presidian Antioch. Um, the thinking is that uh, research tells uh, uh, biblical scholars now that uh, Sergius Paulus had family and land in Presidian Antioch. And so more than likely he had said, I, I accept the gospel. I want you to teach my family. I will give you kind of letters of introduction that will get you in and it will open the doors of Presidian Antioch. Go teach my family. Kind of thing. That's where he's going. Yeah. No, I just think it's interesting when Paul strikes this guy blind on the island that he may have been doing the, what would Jesus do? Yes. If, if Jesus was confronted with somebody who was just totally a son of the devil yeah. and wanted to save him, Oh, he did what he did to me. Yeah, yeah, you know, which is fun. By the way, I think that's an interesting thing that sometimes we talk about, well, Jesus was all about kind of love and caring and mercy, and he, and he was all of that. But there are some times when he goes, no, sorry, <laughs> there's a boundary here. You're messing with the work. I'm going to do something fairly assertive. Well, that was mean. Yeah, <laughs> but necessary. Okay. Oh, sure. Yeah. I think Jesus would do that. I'm not sure Paul did that. <laughs> Paul, Paul, Paul had a chance. Paul, one of the things you're going to find, this is a very emotional man, and he has a chance to get his dander up. And when Paul's dander is up, he doesn't, it doesn't matter um, who he will call on the carpet. Um, as, as, uh, as a New Testament scholar N.T. Wright would put it in his, in his wonderful English. He says, uh, and for Paul, he wouldn't mind saying boo to a goose. <laughs> and to the swans either. <laughs> you know, it's like, he doesn't mind who he's saying boo to. You know, this is Paul. Okay? Um, now, how are they going to decide to go between Perga to Presidian Antioch? Are they going to go the mountain road? Or are they going to go around the fast road here? Well, this is where we have to kind of read in between um, the rest of the story here. Verse 13. 
when Paul and those with him set sail from Paphos, came to Perga and Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Okay, now we need to back up a little bit. This is John Mark. What do we know about John Mark? Um, if you've got your if you've got your New Testament, there's a story we skipped over, um, and it's that interesting story where Peter is in prison, uh, and James has just been killed by a sword, and and Paul is or in, uh, Peter is in jail, and the angel comes and lets him out. Uh, this is probably in Caesarea. He lets him out. He uh, he goes, and it says. That uh, verse 12, this is of chapter 12. When Peter realized he was free, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was called Mark. This is also the sister of Barnabas. There, there, there's a family here, a prominent family that's really helping. And Mary, probably one of the Marys, her, she has a son by the name of John Mark. That would be Barnabas's nephew. Okay? Um, now, apparently Mark, John Mark, goes with them initially on the mission because it says that it was Barnabas and Paul and they took with them John Mark. Great, okay? Now, what was John, John Mark is young, but the feeling is that John Mark uh, was also funding the mission. He's got money that he's bringing with him from uh, Barnabas's family He's funding the mission. So it says back in uh, Acts 13, John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Luke just kind of sails right over that thing. He just left and went home. No, this is a big deal. Because on the second mission, Barnabas and Paul get ready to go on another mission. Barnabas is going to say, I think we should take John Mark. Paul's going to go, no way. He left us before. He left us high and dry. No. Barnabas says yes. And that's when Paul's going to say, great, I'll take, I'll, I'll take another guy. Barnabas, you go another way. This will split up their companionship, John Mark leaving. It's a big deal. And the belief is that uh, John Mark was funding the thing. And so if they've got money... They can make the quicker way around the mountain even though it's longer. If John Mark's going to leave them, they're going to have to work in little areas and do the hard mountain pass, which is what they had to do. So they will, they will slog their way through. I think, do I have a picture? Nope, I don't. I was going to show you a picture of the hard mountain pass that exists uh, up here. And this is like inner Turkey uh, over here to get to Presidian Antioch. Uh, but it, it's tough. So they end up having to work their way through and take jobs along the way. Um, and it took them much longer and it was a, much, it was a harder task. Okay? Now, by the way, uh, is this the last we hear from John Mark? Uh, let me hop over for just a second. Somebody following along on scriptures? Can somebody hop over to 2 Timothy 4? 11. I'm doing all the reading. Who's got it? 
You got it? Okay, 2 Timothy 4.11. Okay, so read it again a little louder. Only Luke is with me. Take part and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Yes. So here's what's happened. The, the, Mark, uh, John Mark leaving split up the companionship of Paul and Barnabas. And enough that Paul was carrying kind of a grudge, I think, against John Mark. He made our, he made our mission much harder. But now we get to Timothy and he says... Take John Mark with you because he is profitable to me, to our ministry. In other words, you, you get this reconciliation that has happened with John Mark and a forgiveness that he has brought him back in. It wasn't like a permanent, I'm really angry. It's, it's like, I'm not going to use him now, but apparently John Mark did some things to get himself back into good graces with Paul. And ultimately, he's going to recommend John Mark. Okay? All right. Now, before I talk about uh, exactly what it is that he's going to do in Presidian Antioch, uh, I want to talk for a second about these little house churches, because part of what you're going to see now is Paul is going to begin to organize. Do they believe that they're gathering Israel at this moment? Not so much, but they are going to start preaching to Gentiles. And if you're going to come into a small town like Antioch or Ephesus or Corinth or even Athens or Rome, uh, what are the believers going to do after you leave? They're going, they're going to want to gather. What did we see them doing in Jerusalem? A lot of times they would sell what they had, right? and they would gather together and they would have their meals together. Boy, is that going to be a big deal in just a second. Okay? Um, but what, what you see Paul about to do, especially when he lands in town and he's going to show up here, one of the goals that they have is to organize what, what is called a house church. Now, these are interesting little things and this ought to be familiar to all of us. Think about this in terms of a ward structure. These initially were, were small groups. Um, anybody grow up in the church at all in place where maybe you were just kind of meeting in a little house? Yeah, okay. What was that like? Well, that was interesting. We, we weren't members. We went to visit some friends in Lufkin, Texas. Yeah, is in Lufkin? And they invited us to church. Yeah. So we all we went with them, and it was a small house. Yeah. They had chairs out and somebody talked. And that was it. That was our introduction. To wow. The, to the did they do the sacrament meeting or kind of thing? Or? I think they did. <laughs> but, but you're not sure. No, it's been a long Okay. Time. All right. Anybody else? Small experience? Yeah. I grew up here in Dallas before any of the churches were ever here. So we were in houses all the time. And uh, it was different. We did have sacrament every Sunday. And like she said, we had somebody to talk and give us a talk. But primaries, you know, you just gather them in little rooms. And from 11 all the way down to 3, they were all taught the same lesson. They didn't have differences. Over yeah. 
Yeah, you're just kind of hanging on as best you can, right? Yes. Okay, that great. Okay, so look at what Paul's having to do, though. We're now pushing into some areas where the gospel's never been taught. We have this mix of dysphoria Jews and alongside pagan Gentiles. But he's, if he's going to go into a synagogue, he's going he's to run into people that are Jews, proselytes, these are the ones converting to Judaism, and God-fearers. We have no intention of really kind of getting circumcised or anything like that, but we kind of like what you're teaching, so we'll show up. Well, we're God-fearers in here. Now, we also may go to Pagan Temple tomorrow because they've got better meat than you guys do. <laughs> but we're still going to show up. We're interested. We love the, we're, we're listening to all these different uh, beliefs of people. Okay, so now we're going to kind of put these together. And as Paul is going to go into these areas, they're going to start to form. And what you're going to get, the, but these small groups, what he did, what Paul did here is unprecedented in history. It really is. And let me, t let me tell you why. From our, from our study of the New Testament and, and the early church fathers kind of give us a picture of these small little organized house churches. Uh, for one thing, uh, th they met together to be worshipful. Uh, what were they worshiping? You going to pull out Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? No. What are you worshiping? Christ. So you're going to do Christ, and then by the way, and so Paul is coming through, and what's Paul opening up to you? The Old Testament. <laughs> so what are they worshiping? Not only do they understand Christ crucified and His purpose and His death and resurrection. But on top of that, we're going to study it by saying, where does it say this in Psalms, that he would do that? Oh, wait a minute. That Isaiah 53 thing certainly works for the suffering servant as Israel, but you know what? There's another meaning here. And it may also mean Christ. Really? Yeah, let's talk about it. And so they're worshiping. They're coming together to break bread. Sometimes a sacrament, but also breaking bread dinner-wise. Okay? They're worshipful. They were also educational in nature. Why educational? If, you're gonna, if he's going to roll into Presidian uh, uh, Antioch, how many, how many of the population can read? 5%? Maybe? 10%? And, uh, and the Jews may still be speaking Aramaic. But the Greeks are going to be speaking Greek. The, you know, what, what scriptures they have are in Hebrew. Okay? So, so what, one of the things that, that apparently they were doing was they were teaching people coming into these groups how to read. Using the scriptures as a basis. So, so as an education, we begin to lift them. So um, whenever the church is... Uh, as a, LDS Church, we were going to make sure like if we, if we rolled in as Brigham Young is sending people out all over the place and they're going to send a group of people to settle San Pete County, for instance. I was told since my, my grandparents came from there, always marry a girl from San Pete because no matter whatever happens, she's always seen worse. <laughs> the, they're going to send... Brigham Young is going to automatically drop people 
down into San Pete, and who's going to be the mayor? The bishop. Who's going to be the uh, who's going to be the county commissioner? State president. Who's going to be the principal of the school? The Sunday school president. Okay. And they always made sure that all of these pieces, the church organization gave, gave uh, the ability to form a city in a town right away. But education was part of it. Okay? And so if we're going to, that's why we're going to set up Brigham Young Academy or the Rexburg Academy. We're going to set up schools because we want to be able to teach people. Uh, and, and even now, we're, we're in the process, we're very much about education, aren't we? Okay. So we know that they were educational. For, for now, for the first time, they had this, this structure by which they were teaching people to become more educated. Uh, they were all, it was also open to all. It was egalitarian, meaning if you're, if you're uh, a Greek, are you welcome? Come on in. If you're a Jew... Come on in. You know, we're bringing everybody together. This, this was really, really unique. Because here, especially if you, are, if you are a Jew living in Antioch or Iconium, you're going to pretty much stick together. You're not going to really mix. And so what, what they were trying to do here, they're open to all, which means uh, if you're going to come to our church, but your brother dies... And, and the funeral is next week. Guess what? We're all showing up. You are part of us. And, and it doesn't matter what race. doesn't matter whether you're bond or free, male or female, Jew or Greek. It was egalitarian. Everybody is welcome here. Oh, you mean like a ward family. Kind of like a ward family should be, right? Because you, you begin to see the, the footings of that. But that did not exist until now. This is what is making Paul's work so unique, is these, these all-accepting egalitarian kind of things. It's like, wow, this is different. You can see why, for instance, if you're a slave, uh, was it Onesimus that we studied in uh, Philemon? If you're a slave, this is kind of cool, you know, because you have as much right in this church, church as anybody else. Why do you think it was that Paul was uh, the instigator of this, and Peter had such a hard time. Boy, is that a great question. Uh, she says, why is it that Paul saw this and Peter didn't? Now, it does help for Paul that he grows up in Tarsus. So he's used to having this more cosmopolitan approach. And so even while he's making tents as he's growing up and he's studying Torah, he's still being surrounded by in this rich, wealthy um, harbor where see, he's seeing all the Roman stuff coming through here so I think he's speaking to pagan he's more comfortable with them but uh, some of it is some of it when, when Paul in Galatians which we might get to next week but probably the week after when Paul goes after Peter fangs and claws <laughs> um, he, he's not just getting on Paul uh, on Peter because he doesn't understand it he's saying you don't understand the scriptures and he's actually going back to the scriptures to prove his point. So Paul grows up every day as a kid reading Torah, 
studying as a Pharisee, and then when he gets probably to about 13, about bar mitzvah age, he's off to Jerusalem to study under Gabamiel. What's Peter doing at 13? Fishing. Fishing. What's he doing at 18? Fishing. Fishing. <laughs> you know? So he had his culture to yes. overcome. The, the, Galilee, the Galilee was... Um, The Galilee in the first century would be like Utah County is to Utah. Much more conservative, much more, you know, as Salt Lake City now is pretty cosmopolitan. I think the church is like 40, 45% members, maybe. Okay. Paul grows up in, uh, on, in the avenues in Salt Lake, and, and Peter is growing up in Highland. Okay. So. But so anyway, so there is this sense. It's open to all. And this, again, in these small towns, this is a big deal. And this would be some of the appeal to, especially people on the fringes, is that something is happening here in these little house churches, these, these followers of the way that is not happening in other places. Does that make sense? Okay. What else? Well, they tended to be humanitarian. Not only are we going to be there, but we're going to do humanitarian aid to people around us. We're going to be doing things for other people. Does this sound familiar? Okay. Uh, in fact, one of the first things that Paul does, and, and we talked about it a little bit, there's a drought going on in Jerusalem. And these people that have pulled all their resources, these members, under the drought, they were starving. And one of the first things that Paul's going to do is start collecting money from all these little house churches to take back to Jerusalem for the benefit of the saints, the members of the way that are starving in Jerusalem. Okay? But they also are taking care of the people around them. And they saw themselves as family. Brother Paul. Okay? Now, isn't that, what sh shouldn't that be us? Love, consecration. Should, shouldn't this be us as a ward family? It is us. It is us. Us at our best is this, right? Us at our worst is battling to be that and not quite making it and then people being offended because it's not. Okay? You think that was going on with these guys? Oh, absolutely. Okay? So, so there's a struggle here, Okay? Um, anyway, so so these little things begin to pop up, and they are they are magnets. Question? They were also dealing with persecution, and that was one of the reasons that they started these house churches was because they were kicked out of the city. Yeah, if you're going to begin to follow follow this uh, Christ person, yeah, you're not going to be really welcome in the synagogue, as we're going to find out here in a second. Okay, but more than that, if but if you're if you're going to understand the the teachings here that says we're supposed to love, have this universal love for everybody, that's not going to fit with with what you're hearing in the synagogue, and it, and it's going to really be met with derision in in the temple of Zeus, for instance, because who is it that you guys worship again? Well, uh, Jesus, really, what happened to him? Oh, he was hung on a tree. You're following a criminal. 
yeah, uh, he was seen as a criminal. Uh, and, and, and so where's he buried? Well, he was resurrected. Well, that's a new wrinkle. We don't get many of those in mythology that were criminals hung on a tree who are now resurrected. And because of that, they're going to save all mankind from their sins. How, how stupid is that? Wow. Okay. But, but they are nice people. They seem to be good people. Okay. Sometimes we get that as, as Latter-day Saints, right? They are just over-the-bend cult people, but they're nice neighbors. <laughs> wow. All right. Okay. So, so now he's going to begin to, to set these up. Um, now, I want to contrast that for just a second, and then we'll, then we'll kind of finish up with Paul, what Paul does. Um, a lot of times when I watch people leaving the church, and they'll, they'll go back and they will, they will talk to ex-church members, I hear, this, I hear this common theme, and it's become really popular uh, across the board, and it sounds something like this. I pulled this off a, a website. Ken uh, Bear, a, a masthead member from Mountain View, California, believes in God and studies the teachings of Jesus. But does he identify with a particular religion? Never, he told me. The structure and rigidity of the church, Bear believes, is antithetical to everything Jesus represents. Instead of attending services, he meditates every morning. The word church means you need to put on uncomfortable shoes, sit up straight, and listen to boring, old-fashioned hymns. Said Matthew, a professor of religion at the University of Virginia, spirituality is seen as a larger, freer arena to explore big questions. Hmm. Now, why would we do, why do we do a church as opposed to just, what's wrong with, what's wrong with, spirituality where you're going to believe in Christ or a higher power and you're going to do it through yoga or meditation or walking through the woods. Doesn't sound like, doesn't that sound like a great idea? Yeah. Well, first of all, our God is a God of order. Yes. And consistency. And he does things the same way that he's always done that. Right. And this approach, there is no, there's no order to it. Right. But for them, isn't that precisely the point? We're not really wanting order. Well, okay, so take that idea, yeah. It's devoid of any accountability or responsibility. Whatever. Well, exactly. (laughs) So I don't have to mess with the responsibility and accountability. Okay. You don't have to help. Oh, uh, hold on to the service thing for a minute. Ah, uh, okay. In Relief Society yesterday, uh, we discussed the talk by Elder Don Covenant Belonging. Yeah, right. And, um, the idea that we uh, take upon ourselves covenants means that we're committing to others and to God, and we belong to a family. Right. And we have a standard of living. That we all strive for. Sure. So that's kind of different. Doesn't necessarily go with that, does it? Yeah. I think, I mean, everything they're saying, there's nothing wrong with any of those 
No, how can you argue with getting close to Jesus and wanting to love and be merciful? And yeah, they're on their own neck there. They're not, they're not becoming part of the body of Christ. They're not becoming part of the community of believers. They support each other and you know, love each other and work together Yes, but you know what? The nice thing about my spirituality and my walk through the woods is I don't have to be surrounded by hypocrites <laughs> who say one thing and then they do another. Okay? So I want to just kind of do the spiritual thing. So I love having the church and the order and everything that everyone has said, but you can add some of this to your life and you can pray and be grateful all the time, wherever you are, like whether you're in the woods, but have that base right. of structure and covenants. And so we're not necessarily disagreeing with the fact that there needs to be personal spirituality and connection. Absolutely. Okay. Where did the scriptures fit in there? Well, you don't really need the scriptures in the, if, if this is all there is. Okay. Me. The church is me. The church, okay. But, but, don't, but again, don't lose sight of the fact here that there is a sense of we, but we don't necessarily, you know, we're saying I need to have my own private prayer and my own spirituality. Yeah, right? How about home-centered? It's kind of like that, right? Supported by Yeah. Okay, so so here's the here's the other genius of what Joseph was bringing. Yeah. Well, okay, so you can use the word spirituality, but the question is, does spirituality mean to you that you are free from all other influences, or that you are drawing near to God and seeking His will? And that's that's where these guys are taking it. They're saying, uh, not thy way, but my way. I want to do it my way. Spirituality is my way. Okay. So, so, so what we're saying is, is that, and again, this is, this is what, sometimes if you take a look at what we're trying to do, we should be theocentric. In fact, that we are focused between us and God, and we're receiving guidance and counsel and information, and we turn to heaven for answers, right? But we, it must be mixed with this, right? We have to be community-centric. And the thing that happens for those that just do the spirituality part is that all of the stuff that we just talked about, community, family, caring for one another, ministering, looking out for each other, that doesn't happen if, if your entire spiritual uh, repertoire is a walk in the woods or sitting on the lake on a Sunday afternoon. There, there's a place for those moments. But if that's all you've got, then look at all of the things that you're missing. And Jesus didn't just say, go off and be spiritual. Bring each other back. He said, come into the way and be gathered. Yeah. With children who have left the church, they yes. have that you really uh, want and they don't know where to go to find it. No. And I feel sorry for them, but they know the church has it, but they don't want to be involved yeah. yeah, when I and when I follow the Facebook pages that I follow of those that have either leaving the church or have left the church, you hear that. 
It's, it's like, I'm doing this, uh, by the way, and I'll post all my pictures of a cup of coffee because I'm really liking this. And, hey, we're at a wine tasting festival, and I want to make sure that this is it's pictured on Facebook so that all my family can see that I'm now more erudite kind of than you are. But there's a sense of saying, yeah, there's something missing. There's still a hole. That, that, and, and I feel like I'm missing some kind of... And you'll watch them trying to reach out and form connections somewhere because there's an internal drive to say, I need community. And, and, and this was meant to be a community. We don't get saved. We don't enter the celestial kingdoms alone. <laughs> we, enter, we enter as communities and family. Heavenly Father is trying to gather all of his children home. And if everyone's individual, they can't help gather each other home. No. And he can't be here because we have to learn by faith. So we've got to do it. We've got to help gather each other home. Right. That, that, that's why what we're trying to get to, and, and again, look at what Paul's trying to do. There is a, we're supposed to be connected to God and be led by the Holy Spirit, but we're now going to organize as a group so that we can, we can pull on each other and we can help each other in educational ways. You know, as I'm, as I was, um, it's our week to clean up this building. So uh, Cindy, over here, Cindy and I were over here late last night making sure the building is all cleaned up and locked up and stuff like that. Um, but there's one other group still meeting in the building. It's the self-reliance group, right? <laughs> Who, uh, you know, late on a Sunday night when you could be snuggled safely in your bed, you're over here having learned about personal finances at a self-reliance thing, right? Again, it's the sense of what the community does to lift us together, I think, is, is the whole goal. Yeah? Yeah. And I said, why? He said, I think you want to go to church in the middle of the week. And uh, he said, just so I can be with everyone. He was needing that connection that he wasn't getting. He was needing that. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't it say in the Bible, you probably remember the verse, but uh, about not always getting together or meet together oft yeah 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 and that, but this is why okay well, when I was younger I discovered the benefits of discipline and sports and then you know working on homework and stuff on it and you just began to see that if there's a program uh, you can learn better and our and there's a goal you know and our goal is to be joyful and so there must be ideas about how to do it, and all that falls under the concept of a discipline. You know, so as we discipline ourselves, we can accomplish whatever it is we want to accomplish faster, more efficiently, and all. Of course, then the next question is, which one is the best? Discipline? Which that's right. Which is the best discipline? Yeah. You know that part you had about the uncomfortable shoes, the boring talk, and the old hands, or whatever. I'm sure that was very amusing and very clever. But it's really being hypocritical and judgmental. 
yes. people who do do that. I mean, if that person had said, that's what they get out, they get their whatever out of that, I do it this way. But so if, they, if they're accusing us of being hypocrites, I mean, first of all, just go get comfortable shoes. Nobody has. <laughs> There's a certain thing to be said for people who will come and listen to someone speak in sacrament, and it's not a very good talk. But that person is doing right. the best they can. Right. And, and, but we're supporting them in their growth, right? And we're trying to learn something from a 13-year-old giving their first talk, and they're halting their way through, right? Okay, so, so keep this in mind here, okay? You, you understand kind of what is needed what we're trying to accomplish and what Paul is wanting to do. Now you've got the foundation, I think, to now if you look and uh, Acts 13, they travel from Perga to proceed in Antioch, uh, and they enter the synagogue on the Sabbath, and they sat down. Oh, strangers in town. Okay. Uh, after reading from the law, they're going to do the, the readings. The synagogue leader sent a message saying, Brothers, if there's something, um, someone among you who has a word of exhortation uh, for the people, say it. And, of course, it's going to be Paul. Barnabas is a little older. Um, and, and Paul is ready to go. Uh, and so listen, listen to the direction he goes. Um, men of Israel and those who fear God. Jews and God-fearers. Men of Israel and those who fear God. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers. And he starts to go through and he gives them the history. He's going to go through an Old Testament history. For 40 years, Moses endured them in the wilderness. Um, and then they destroyed the nations. Um, and then they had a king. Uh, and God removed king and he put David up there and I have found David the son of Jesse to be the man after my own heart and then he's going to get down to 26 brothers descendants of Abraham's family you start listening listen where he's going here descendants of Abraham's family and those among you who fear God word of salvation has been sent to us for those living in Jerusalem and their rulers didn't recognize the voices uh, they had uh, Jesus killed then he says in verse 32, And we proclaim to you the good news that was promised to our ancestors. God has fulfilled this promise to us. Who are their children by raising Jesus as, as it was written in the second psalm. You are my son. I have begotten you. But regarding his raising from the dead, no longer to decay, God has spoken this way. I will give you the holy promises made to David. So, here's his point. In walking into town, first thing he's going to end up saying here. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, Jews and Greeks, let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is declared to you. Wow. If you're a Jew, where is, how is forgiveness found? First of all, it's in the temple, right? Yom Kippur? Following the law. And by following the law. And he's going, be it known to you, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is declared to you by this man, Jesus, all who believe are set 
free from everything from which the law of Moses could not set you free. That's, that's amazing. That is amazing. Um, now, being Paul, he could, just walk, he could just drop the mic at that point and sit down, right? <laughs> this is Paul we're talking about. 40. Therefore, beware what was spoken by the prophets does not happen to you. Look, you mockers. <laughs> Be amazed and perish because I'm performing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe in unless someone tells it to you. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, anyway. Can I ask Yeah. It makes me nervous when, because uh, I was brought up to fear. Yeah. Is that? It's more reverence. It's more God reverence. Is where he's going. Yeah, where? Oh, it was. She so said it makes you a little bit nervous when we talk about fearing God. And so the, the, the God fears aren't the ones that are really scared of gods unless they were, unless they were uh, Epicureans who believed that he was too far out there or they were pagans who really were afraid of Zeus. But for the most part, God fears really is mean God reverencers. Okay. Okay. Okay, so finally let me just say this uh, and then we'll, uh, we're almost done here. Paul's going to say in 47, I have established, I, I was told, I have established you, Paul, as a light to the Gentiles to bring salvations to the end of the earth. 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and gave glory to the word of Lord, the Lord. And those who had, and this is an interesting phrase, I don't have an answer to this. And those who had been appointed to eternal life believed. Oh, man. It, is there? What does it say? And as many as believe ordained Oh, okay. Say that again a louder. I'm glad you spotted that. And as many as believed were ordained unto eternal life. So it wasn't saying that they were appointed to eternal life. When they believed, they were now appointed to eternal life. In other words, they were baptized and accepted it. Thank you. Okay? And so, now... 49, the word of the Lord began to spread throughout the entire region. Uh, now, anytime there's going to be growth, there's going to be pushback. And look, look at where this goes here. But the Jews incited who? The pious women. Who weren't necessarily in the synagogue that day. Which, by the way, the difference with the house churches, and again, I, I keep mentioning this, but I just can't want to sprinkle this in. Guess who was running a lot of these house churches? Women. Women. Okay. But they're certainly not going to be in this synagogue. So the Jews, the Jews incited the pious women who were of high social position and the prominent men of the city. Probably their husbands. <laughs> okay. Why would they stir up the women? That's how you get the men stirred up. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. But I just think it's, it's funny that the writers of, the, the writers of Acts are going to say, when the Jews were worried about what Paul was doing, especially he's grabbing their proselytes, and they're going to roll over to the way instead of go to the synagogue, who are we going to go to? Uh, the pious women. Because they will make things happen. 
I would love to have known exactly what the social structure was in Presidian Antioch enough to say, if we really want to scuttle these guys, get the pious women involved, because they'll take care of this, and they'll bring the men along. I, I think it's kind of interesting. Okay, they stirred up persecution, they threw them out of their region, they then shook the dust from their feet, and they went to Iconium. Um, yeah, now that's a, that little bit there. So they shook the dust from their feet. Where did we first hear about that? Christ is telling them that. It's one of the very few places that we see Christ's teachings in Paul's writings. That he's actually following something, probably something he learned from Peter, probably learned it from Barnabas. Because he wouldn't have been there for that speech. So I just think that's interesting. Um, we're, we're about out of time. You might, it is interesting. Uh, they will then go to Iconium and they will go to Lystra and Derby. Uh, in in uh, Lystra, they heal a man. Uh, because they heal him, the, the group, the pagans there, believe that they're gods. Uh, and it's interesting that they're going to call Barnabas, this is verse 12, uh, they call Barnabas Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes. Mercury, because he was the loudest and the, and, and the one making, stirring all the stuff up, okay? Ze yes, he did. And see, Zeus would kind of be a little bit more removed up here. That's Barnabas. He's a little older. He's a little more quiet. And Paul seems to be doing all the talking. He's Mercury. He's Hermes. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's the messenger of God. And of, and of fertility and of prosperity. Mercury does an awful lot of things, and it's going to be Paul. Okay? So, and from that, they will, they will then return. Um, so, part of what you begin to see here, and I, I just think it's fascinating, we watch this very little bit of a ripple of what will soon become a tsunami. Um, of what is it he's going to teach and how does, he, how does Paul see the world, especially before the writing of the Gospels and everything else. And his view of what Jesus is doing is firmly rooted in uh, Adam's fall. It's, it's firmly rooted in Abraham's covenant. It's firmly rooted in the promise made to David that through his lineage one will come to save Israel and the whole world. Paul's world is the Old Testament. In, but in the Old Testament, he finds he now, from a different viewpoint, sees Christ everywhere. And that's why he's going to go into synagogues of Old Testament reading people, and he's going to bring them Christ and have them see Christ in what they've been teaching all along. And that Isaiah, especially then, when he starts talking about, I will gather Israel. <clears throat> now he's saying, we are now going to begin this process of gathering. It'll be ultimately scattered, and it will be up to us in the latter days to actually do the final gathering. <coughs> but for Paul, this is, this is the beginning. So, um, pretty inspiring, I think. Any, any final comments on this before we call the... Yeah. Of, of 
right? Yeah. And, and ultimately, I guess I would say, and maybe we'll, we'll finish with this. The idea then ultimately of gathering is the goal. That we are, to, we are to hear God's voice to us. We're to accept what the Savior did for us. But that, that, that should be bringing us together to gather as one. Where we can help and grow and heal one another. That was the way that the Savior intended it. And that, that's certainly what Paul did uh, as he started to establish this. So I, I, I bear in my testimony that, that Paul, again, is one of the most remarkable men of history. And what he did was groundbreaking, and what he did was uh, always uh, unique, but where he drew his sources from should kind of tell us something about our own study. See if we can find Christ everywhere as he did. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a house, there are house churches in the area. Are they listed in the phone <laughs> Yeah, how would you know that there was a house church that existed right there? I'm asking that because my family has the same history and I see this is a genealogy question. Yeah. How did they find one another? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think it was in the phone book. They, they might list there, but a lot of it was left to missionaries who had to kind of go out and, and gather and invite people to these churches. But how would you find out if you're an LDS and you wanted to connect with one and move into the It would be really difficult, wouldn't it? Yeah, it, it would be it would be incredibly difficult. Yeah, but back then it would have been listed in the phone book. But even sometimes even those it was more... If you, if you go into parts of China, how are you going to know where in China... The, there's a little house church of, of Latter-day Saints. And I know they exist because we have the Mandarin group in our, in our ward. And they're, and they're talking about that. They're having these little meetings together, but they're quiet. They're hush-hush. And it's only by word of mouth that, it, that it's coming. So anyway, um, good stuff. Um, do your studying and uh, have a good week. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our Father in Heaven, we are so grateful that we have the opportunity to have this class today before us, that we have time.